Well, what a beautiful morning we woke up to this morning. It was a bit of a tease yesterday, right? It was like, you know, I mean, I went out for a bike ride, enjoyed the beautiful day. It was like spring was here. I was ready to put the patio furniture back out and uh, woke up this morning. I was like, are you kidding me? Uh, but you know what? I, want, I just wanted to spin it a little bit. I'm like, you know what? I drove in. I thought, it's beautiful outside. And in a couple of weeks from now, I'll be looking back and remembering how pretty it was. And so just trying to kind of make the best of a, of a situation, right? And, and I think, you know, that's kind of like who I am. A lot of times, I, I've always been that person that tries to find the good in, in every situation. Um, in my world, the glass is always half full as opposed to half empty. It, sometimes can drive people a little crazy, could lean almost towards idealism, but that is a risk I'm willing to take. I'd rather be uh, disappointed than not have, uh, uh, than, than not see the best in every situation, right? And so that's just, kind of, I think that's something I got from my dad. My dad was always that happy-go-lucky kind of a guy and just really, um, found the best in everything. I'll give you, for instance, just something we can apply for today. It's like, let's think about masks for a moment, right? Like, no, nothing has been more frustrating and disappointing, nothing more of a downer than masks. Everybody's like so sick and tired of the mask. But I'd like to take a moment this morning and just kind of celebrate some of the benefits of the mask. And then I don't want to talk about COVID this morning, but just, you know what, there's some, there's always a half full glass of water when we consider the benefits of a mask, for instance, maybe a couple of these might resonate a little bit. I know this wasn't anybody here, but how many of you were able to go out without brushing your teeth? <laughs> All right, not having to worry about like what you were putting out there. Or even better, how many really appreciated the masks when somebody else went out and didn't brush their teeth, right? And you're kind of like, hey, you know what? This mask gig isn't such a bad idea. This is a really nice way because some people, some people don't have the best social awareness and they love to talk this close to your face where you can feel the breath from their mouth, right? And so it's kind of like if they didn't brush their teeth, you really come to celebrate the mask experience. In fact, there may be a day where you long for the return of the mask. There'll be a conversation, mark my words, in this upcoming year, you're going to have with somebody that they're going to have the worst breath. And you're going to be like, man, I remember that message that Pastor Tony preached. God, bring back the masks for us, right? Or how many times have you maybe eaten a bagel or some spinach and you got something wedged inside your teeth, but nobody has to know about it because you've got a mask on. And so it's kind of like a cool benefit, right? Ladies, you don't have to worry about, hey, you don't have to worry about not only freshening up your lipstick, you don't have to even wear lipstick. Nobody will see how chapped up or dry your lips may become because you've got a beautiful mask. You see, there's some positive things about a mask that's just really worth celebrating. It's all a matter of how you choose to look at it. You ever have a conversation with somebody and you're kind of like, where's this? And you want to yawn, but you don't want to yawn in their face. But you can do that with a mask, right? I mean, there's been many a time. I've kind of, I've kind of like mastered the ability to yawn without my eyes saying that I'm yawning, right? Sometimes I've got that spasm take place and you just kind of get that locked jaw kind of thing. But, but that, or if you're in a conversation and you're not liking what the person's saying, you can stick your tongue out at them. They'll never even know it. 
And so it's like, hey, you know what? This mask thing isn't that bad of an idea. And so again, I'm certainly happy that masks are on their way out, but there will be a day where we will look back with great fondness, appreciation, and even maybe long for the return of the masks. One of the things that I've come to really appreciate about the mask is the opportunity to walk into a store, Anthony Parenti, you're you're gonna know this one, with a mask on and nobody knows who you are. I have really kind of come to appreciate the ability. I'll wear a mask as high up as it'll go. I'll put on some glasses and a hat. They'll have no idea because there's times where you kind of, you ever get those moments where you just don't want to talk to anybody? I, I hope that doesn't rock your world about your pastor, but there's sometimes that I just don't want to be here. Don't want to, I don't want to be seen. I want to be invisible. I don't want to be asked questions. And I certainly don't want to do it when I'm in the grocery store and I need to be somewhere. Well, the mask has been a wonderful way for me to kind of fly in under the radar. Nobody even knows. I can go in, get what I want, and walk out the door completely incognito. It's kind of like my version of Halloween. Right, I don't celebrate Halloween, but, if, but this is as close to Halloween as possible. I can go in, nobody knows who I am, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. I love people, I love, that's why I'm in ministry, but there's some times where I just kind of like to be invisible. Anybody ever feel like you just want to be invisible sometimes? Yeah, I think that's a kind of common thing. I mean, so an extrovert, the difference between an extrovert and an introvert, an extrovert, their batteries get charged by being around people. Right, and so a lot of times it's interesting. A lot of people will assume I'm an extrovert. I'm, I'm really not an extrovert. I, and and I, I used to think I was an extrovert. An extrovert has to be around a lot of people. They have to constantly be engaged in interaction and always in the life of the party. Tracy's laughing because that's Tracy right there. Don't forget to be here Tuesday night for ladies ministry because she's an extrovert. She needs to be around people. That's how God's wired her, right? And so when they're around a lot of people, their batteries get charged. An introvert is different. An introvert can appear to be an extrovert. An extrovert can be, an introvert can be the life of the party, but there's a point in which the introvert has got to pull away and charge his batteries or her batteries, and the way they do that is by being alone. And that's just where my batteries get charged. And so the mask is just a wonder. It has nothing to do with where I'm going, but I just figured I'd throw that out there. Um, but the mask has been a wonderful way for us to be able to hide sometimes and and be invisible and and so i think there's times that every one of us likes to be invisible but god has wired us in such a way though that every one of us needs to be known there's something in our makeup there's something in our design that a mask will never cover up there's something in us that needs to be Known, And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The title of my message is The New You. And it's kind of, and notice the way we spelt that. And it's a beautiful design. Pastor Tom is just so creative. Um, the New You. So it's not the N-E-W, New, but it is the New You. There's a very significant moment that I want to talk to you about that takes place in the life of Peter and the disciples when they're with Jesus um, and it's something that's interesting. You ever read uh, passages of scripture? You might have read them for years and, and like you get really familiar with them and then once in a while you'll read it and be like, I never saw that before. 
Like it just, it's not that it's new because there's nothing new coming across, but it's just new to you. And the Holy Spirit just kind of like opens your eyes to something you just never saw before, right? And so it's just really exciting. I, I, for those who know me know I get crazy when somebody said they got a revelation. Um, where's Diane? She, she laughs at me every time. When somebody tells me they have a revelation, it always freaks me out because there is no new revelation out there. Everything is revealed in the word of God. But the Holy Spirit can illuminate, can make our eyes open to truth that has already been revealed. And I was reading through a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 16, a very familiar passage of scripture. And I thought to myself, well, I've never seen this before. And it just really blessed my heart. I hope it blesses you this morning. Um, but here's Jesus, it's, it's kind of like the years of Jesus's favor, it's the popular years of Jesus's ministry, it's at this point where he's kind of blowing up the religious leaders over their hypocrisy, the people are liking that a whole bunch, and, and Jesus is healing the sick, and he's raising the dead, and he's causing the loaves and the fish to multiply, he's feeding thousands with a few uh, fish and a couple of loaves, and, and everywhere Jesus went, the crowds of people would come and gather because they wanted to be around this Jesus and they were all drawing um, different opinions as to who he was but they were shocked as they considered who this Jesus is and it's in that context that Jesus he just gets done um, multiplying the seven loaves and a few fish to feed the thousands of people and now Jesus is kind of kicking back is with his disciples and he begins to ask a question that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 16 let's take a look at that together Matthew chapter 16 and look with me at verse 13 Jesus says to them who do people say that the son of man is and they said well some say John the Baptist others say Elijah Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? I love that. First, Jesus asked, what do they say? Now he's saying, who do you say that I am? And Simon and Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Again, a very familiar passage of scripture that we have looked at many a time, but I saw something in there that I really hadn't seen before I thought was very interesting. First, Jesus says to them, hey, how are people defining Jesus? Who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist and some say that you're Elijah, um, come back, or perhaps you're even Jeremiah. And it's interesting, we don't know if people were really saying that. Maybe the disciples wondered, but they just kind of didn't want to appear to not know. And so isn't it, you ever had those conversations with people? They'll say, you know, people have been saying this, which really people really are them. They just don't, they just want to hide behind everybody else has been saying this, right? So maybe that's what's going on here, I don't know. But the disciples are kind of like, hey, you know, some people say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. And so Jesus says, all right, let's get this. Because they're wrong, obviously. They end up being wrong in their assessments. And so Jesus says to them, okay, who do you say that I am? 
Forget about the conclusions other people came to. Forget about what they're saying. Forget about the assessments that everybody else came to. Guys, who do you say that I am? And Peter is the only one to speak up. We don't know why. This is pretty consistent with Peter. He's usually the first one to kind of step up and speak and share what was going on in his heart, which is something that I think is very precious about Peter. He's one of those guys that, you know, maybe the other guys just were afraid of getting it wrong or, or didn't know the answer. And Peter was like always a risk taker. He's like, you know what? Let me just step right up and say it. And so Peter belts it out. You're the Christ. You are the promised one. You are human, the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one that all of the prophets of old have pointed to, is what he's saying. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Watch what happens. Jesus answers and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. My Father in heaven who has revealed to you just who I am. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that Peter's understanding of who Jesus was came directly from God the Father. This wasn't something that Peter was taught by anybody else. This isn't anything that Peter was regurgitating from the conversations he had with anybody else. This wasn't even something that Peter came to on his own based on the assessing of Jesus' life and teaching. It wasn't like he kind of you know, grasped this or had the intelligence to say, based on my observations of you, this is the conclusion I've came to. No outside sources other than God himself filled Peter's heart in mind with that answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, the true identity of Jesus is revealed by the father to Peter. Everybody get that? That's really important piece for us to understand going forward here. That the identity of who Jesus really is was not based in the popular opinion of the day, but on what God the Father said and put into the heart of Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But he doesn't stop there. And this is where it kind of got really like, kind of interesting a little bit more interesting for me. Immediately following this revelation of who Jesus is comes another revelation. And this revelation comes to Peter as to who Peter is. You see, the Father reveals to Peter who Jesus is, and Jesus reveals to Peter who Peter is. Watch what he says here. Look. He said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Here's the connection, look. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, everybody else calls you Simon. Your parents name you Simon. Your friends refer to you as Simon. You've even called yourself Simon, but that's not what God calls you you are Peter. 
You are Peter. And you see, what I love about this interchange here is we see that it is God who defines us. The Father defines for Peter who Jesus is, and Jesus, very God of very God, defines for Peter who Peter is. Peter, not only has the Father revealed to you who I am, but you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Everybody else refers to you as Simon, but you're Peter. Parents didn't define Peter. Peers didn't define Peter. People didn't define Peter. Problems didn't define Peter. Predicaments didn't define Peter. And as we all know, there was moments in Peter's life where Peter dropped the ball, didn't he? I think one of the reasons that we can oftentimes relate with with Peter is because we, like him, tend to drop the ball at times. It was Peter, the same one who said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, is the same one who just moments later will say to Jesus, who, when Jesus talked about his, his soon crucifixion of being handed over, Jesus say, he says, Peter says to Jesus, not so, Lord, may that never happen to you. Speaking of the crucifixion, and Peter, Jesus will look at Peter and say, get thee behind me, Satan, for you're not speaking the things of God. And so Peter had the potential of speaking for God. He also had the potential of speaking in error as well. And so I think at times, if we are real honest, we have the same potential, don't we? It was Peter who, who denied the Lord not once, twice, but three times. It was Peter who ran for cover when Jesus was arrested, worried about his own life. You know, so we look at Peter and we think, you know what, Peter wasn't always on, you know, bringing his A game, right? And I can identify with that. I, I can look at Peter and be like, yeah, you know what, I, I, I get that. I mean, I, I'd like to be able to relate with Jesus, but I can't relate with Jesus, but I can relate with Peter. I've put my foot in my mouth more times than I'd like to admit. And so Peter saw himself as Simon, right? People knew him as Simon. His parents identified him as Simon. And if we look at Peter's life, we'd see, or Simon's life, we would see oftentimes that Simon would do things that weren't in his best interest. But Jesus is the one who changed his name. It's interesting, if we go all the way back into Matthew chapter four, we, we learn that that was the first thing that Jesus does with Peter. First conversation Jesus does, has with Peter, he changes his name from Simon to Peter. It's interesting. All throughout the narratives, you'll see him refer to both Simon Peter or Simon Peter together. But, but, but here, what we see taking place here is Jesus is highlighting the fact that Peter or Simon your past doesn't define you. Your parents don't define you. Hey, Simon, you don't even define you. I define you. You are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I know the Catholic Church has said, well, see, the church started from Peter. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He was not the first pope that the church launched out of. What Jesus is saying is not that the church would be 
would be, would be birthed from Peter, but from that statement that you are the Christ, the recognition from the Father to Peter that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that statement is what birthed the church. And Jesus said, and upon that statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You are Peter, and my Father is the one who revealed that truth to you. Nobody saw in Peter what God saw in Peter. Peter didn't even see in Peter what God saw in Peter. And can I tell you, nobody sees in you what God sees in you. Nobody sees in you what God sees in you. You don't even see in yourself what God sees in you. And you see, we utilize resources from our past, voices from the past, influences from the past to define who we are, but it's God who defines you. It's God who says who you are. Not what you've done. Not your limitations or your liabilities. You are Peter. God knew you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And what we see in this, in, this, in this dialogue between Jesus and Peter is we see our need for the Father to reveal to us who Jesus is. But we also see our need for God to reveal to us who we are. It's the greatest truth any Christian could wrap their, cells or their arms around outside of the saving work of Christ. It's an understanding of who they are in Jesus Christ who you are in Jesus. The greatest tool that the enemy has at his disposal are lies. And he wants to fill your heart and your head with lies about what you are and what you've done and who you are and you'll never amount to anything, but that's not what God says about you. God knows more about you than anybody else and he loves you more than anybody else. You can wear a mask all you want and try and hide from everyone and everything. But you can never hide from God because you're known by Him. And I hope that that's received as something to appreciate and not to fear. He knows your frame. He knows your makeup. He knows the hurts. He knows the insecurities. He knows the desires. He knows the pains. He knows the things that you've experienced. He knows you. And we need to be careful to not define ourselves or other people by what we see or what we experience, but by what God sees. I love the story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 where God calls on Samuel to go to the, to the house of Jesse to pick the next king of Israel. 
First Samuel chapter 16, we see the Lord says to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him? And we see we, the people of God, Saul is like, you know, crashed and burned in his walk with God and their leader is, is, is been rejected by God now and now it's time for God to raise up a new king and it's gonna be David. And God says to Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go and I will send you to the house of Jesse for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Many of you know the story and so, so he heads on out to the house of Jesse and he goes to Jesse's house and he says to him, bring me your sons that I might anoint with, them with oil. We see in verse four, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the city came to meet him trembling. Um, they asked, did you come peaceably? And he said, I came to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. And so we now we have Jesse and his sons standing before Jesse to see who will be anointed as king. And when they came, he, Samuel, looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I love this. You see, he does what everybody else does. We look at the stature. We look at the potential. We look at on the outward appearance. Surely this is the kind of guy who would be a king of Israel. And so he looks at Eliab, sees his height, sees his posture, sees who he is, the way he carries himself, and says, surely... This is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on his height or his statue because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, listen, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And if there's any, there's, there's no greater verse that I can think of that ought to inform the way we view one another. So many times we can divide, so many times we can, we can define people, we can write people off based on what we see. But oftentimes all you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg, right? So many times the, the, the actions and the behaviors and the responses to life are the result of a lot of pain and hurt and confusion. And we see on the outside and we call, it causes us to reject or define somebody based on what we see. And what God says is, listen, man, judges the outward appearance, but God judges the heart. May we be a people who don't define people by what we see, but would have the eyes of Jesus, that would have the eyes of God to see the potential, to see maybe what nobody else sees and to pull the best out of people. It wasn't Eliab, so he reaches out for Abinadab, and it wasn't Abinadab. He reaches out for Shammai. It wasn't him. He brings out seven of his sons before Samuel, and Samuel says to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all of your sons here? And he said, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it remains yet the youngest, yet, uh, but, you know, he's out with the sheep we've already defined his maximum potential. We've already determined the plan of God for his life. He's, he doesn't have what you're looking for. 
And so I didn't even bring them to the table. I just figured I'd leave them there with the sheep. Samuel says to Jesse, send them and get them for me. We're not gonna sit down until he cuts here. And so he sent and he brought him in. And now he was ruddy and beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise and anoint this one, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Wow. But everybody else determined to be the plan of God for David's life. God said that's based on what everybody else saw, but I see something in that young man that's gonna make him the best king Israel will ever see sit on the throne. Bring him to me. And he anoints his head with oil. Why? Because God doesn't judge by the outward appearance. God judges the heart. You see, when Jesus asked the disciples who men thought he was, they came to their conclusions based on what they saw. And that's exactly what we do as well. We assess one another, we define one another, we draw conclusions about one another based on the things that we see. And oftentimes, that limits our ability to appreciate, learn from, and then really enjoy the community of Christ. God isn't like that. God doesn't look at what we do. God looks at what Christ has done. And for us, our identity flows out of what Christ has done for us. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things, they become new. And so now when, Christ, when God the Father sees us, he sees a redeemed people purchased by the blood of his very son. And based on that, we have intrinsic value before God. God knows you. He knows you. That's gotta get from here to here. Because when he travels that short distance, it'll revolutionize your life. The idea that this infinite God creator of all that exists actually knows us. It's beyond comprehension. Yet that's exactly what God says. It's exactly what God says. Listen to Jeremiah. Here's Jeremiah. He's, he's questioning his ability because of his age and his experience. And he says, but you, O Lord, you know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. You, oh Lord, know me. Listen to Jesus. Jesus says, my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. I know them better than they know themselves. I know them better than anybody else around them. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, for now in this lifetime, we see in a mirror dimly. But then when we cross over into the other side, we shall see him face to face. He says, now 
I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I love that. Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth, while we are here on this earth, we only can understand a, a, a portion of who God is, but there will be a day where we cross out of time and into eternity, and we will fully know him, even as we are fully known. Could you imagine what that will be like? But we, know, we don't need to wait to get there to be fully known by him. He fully knows us. He is the omniscient God. He knows everything there is to know about everything and everyone. And what I love about this is he chooses to know us, not driven just by his omniscience, but driven by his love for you and for me. He knows you because he wants to because he loves you. Here is this shepherd boy who is defined by his father and family, brought to Samuel, reminded that God sees what nobody else can see. And he will pen these words, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me, Psalm 139. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Do you ever say that to your kids? Like, I know what you're thinking. He used to freak my son David out all the time because he's, he's like mini me. He'd be like, how did you know that? Because I'm you. Right? But God really knows us. He knows our thoughts from afar. David says, you search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with you always. You're acquainted with, with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. Do you know that God does not learn? God knows everything there is to know. We learn, hopefully. But God just knows everything there is to know. He said, before there's even a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it together. You hem me in behind and before me, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. You see, when we recognize how much God loves us, when we recognize how much uh, God cares about us, how much God chooses to, for us to know him, it ought to affect the way we see ourselves. When we fully understand how loved and accepted we are by God, we won't be chasing after acceptance by everybody else because our ultimate acceptance is from him. Psalm 139 paints a beautiful picture of a God who chooses to know us. Look at verse 13. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. It's a picture of a God who touches his creation. You've got the very fingerprints of God upon your life. I've shared it before. God has not spoken you to existence, but he has touched this creation. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Nobody creeped out of a swamp billions and billions and billions of years ago. We were created by the lover of our souls, invited into relationship with him. And in that relationship, we find significance. In that relationship, we find wholeness. In that relationship, we find definition to who we are. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Now that's some really, really, just really nice poetry. Well, that's the truth that God thinks about you. You're on his mind. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. You ever try and count a handful of sand? Good luck with that. If you were to try and count the amount of times that you're on the mind of God. He said, if I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. The psalmist is like, it doesn't get any better than this. This is a God who is not disconnected from his people. This is a God who invites us into relationship. This is not a God that can be, who can be reached by religious means. This is not a God who could be gained an audience with by any religious efforts whatsoever. This is a God who invites us into relationship, invites us to come boldly to the throne of grace. This is a God who of his own choosing and according to his own will chooses to know us, to love us and to care for us. You are never, ever alone. You're never alone. And you are never unknown. You could put that mask on. You can be invisible to everybody else around you but you'll never be invisible to God. You're never not cared for. You are never forgotten. You are never abandoned. You are never forsaken. I think of the story of Job. You remember this man who went through the worst of situations, loses his family, loses his wealth, loses his health, loses everything he has, and here he is in a, in a pile of, of sackcloth and ashes. And he says what? You know the path that I take. For when you have tried me, I shall come forth as gold. In other words, you have not forsaken me. I will not let the circumstances around me tell me whether you're present in my life. I will not let the easy times or the hard times remind me or inform me whether you're for me or not. God is for you. You are known by him. Peter will write that you are a chosen generation.
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. If there's one thought that I can put into your heart this morning, whether you're here or watching online or on TV, it's this, know what God knows about you. Know that God loves you. He loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Christ came and died for us so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. The new you is known by the one who makes you new. Don't ever forget that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you know our frame. Lord, we live in a world where we are reminded so often of all of the things that we need, all the ways we need to look, all the ways we're supposed to act. And Lord, if we're not careful, we can get caught into trying to strive for the approval of others and not realize that we've got the approval of our creator, our God, who loves us and knows our frame. I pray, Lord, in these days that you would reveal to the hearts of your people in the same way that you revealed to Peter who Jesus was and you revealed to Peter who Peter was. Would you help us to see us as you see us? And in turn, would you help us to see others how you see others? Would you help us to love others the way you love them? Would you help us to see the potential in others and pull that out of them to the glory of God so that your name may be made great? We thank you, we praise you. In Christ's name we pray.